0: Questions. Conversations. Thought leadership. Analysis. New perspectives. Research. Policy. Technology. Welcome to the AFIRE podcast. The economy will recover, but how? Will it be V-shaped or U, L, or W-shaped? How will the property markets change as they come back? Martha Payton, the Managing Director of Applied Research at Aegon Asset Management Real Assets, looked at these questions as well as potential changes in the real estate landscape for our summer issue of AFIRE Summit. So I'm glad that I have a chance today to talk economics with one of the best and welcome Martha. To the A Fire podcast.
1: Well, thank you for the invitation, Gunner. I'm very happy to uh, be here.
0: Well, and, and I want to thank you for you're the only author that has been in every issue of a Fire Summit since we started it last year, and you always have great insights on what's happening on the markets, what's happening economically, and some interesting kind of viewpoints. This uh, issue that's coming out in uh, August, uh, you have an article in there called "Right Sizing Commercial Real Estate," which uh, certainly you use the word "right sizing." It's not exactly our favorite. Uh, word to contemplate when we're looking at our portfolios, but um, really some interesting insights looking at different uh, different property types and, and what the challenges are. So let's just start this by asking you the question, what do you think are the challenges that investors face as they respond to, adapt to, uh, try to thrive in uh, a new normal created by the COVID-19 pandemic?
1: Well, you know, the question that uh, real estate analysts get repeatedly these days. Uh, is very specific to real estate. You know, investors ask, um, how will real estate be affected by the virus? Uh, When is it over? When will the new normal take hold? And the way that I answer that question is to um, tell investors that real estate is not performing in an isolated silo, and that to understand the prospects for uh, the property types and the locations, they really have to understand um, what the virus is about. The virus is the starting point, and once we understand how pervasive The risk of contagion is, as we speak, Um, the difficulties and delays in designing and releasing therapeutics, in designing, releasing vaccines, and getting people to accept those vaccines, all of those challenges are affecting the drivers of both supply and demand um, in U.S. real estate. And I say U.S. real estate because the COVID uh, risks are now um, extremely important in the U.S. Uh, The rest of the world, uh, with the exceptions of of South America, uh, appear to uh, have moved further along toward recovery, but the US is still in the thick of it.
0: When I think about the presentation that you made in February in our New York meeting and compare it to where we are today, um, it's really astonishing how much has changed, how much the landscape has changed from what we thought we knew as recently as six months ago.
1: Well, I'm going to remind you, that at that meeting, there was a survey question. And it was something like, how many of you believe that the virus uh, will not be all that big a deal? And how many of you believe that it will be a big deal? And I laugh when I remember that, because I was among the minority uh, who said, this is going to be a big deal. And maybe it's because uh, I'm an economist and economists are naturally uh, pessimistic. Maybe it's because I've spent a lot of time doing risk management. Risk managers are uh, generally more pessimistic. Or maybe it was just my gut um, in reading about the virus and reading about uh, its impact um, in China, in Italy. Or maybe it was because I had very recently come back from Italy. So it was very much on my mind.
0: The other thing that I think everyone has to realize is that Martha Payton is quite often right. So I think that's something we need to pay attention to. So in addition to, uh, you know, basically COVID-19, you mentioned in your article that another challenge that we have to pay attention to is the economy. So what's your take on what's going to happen? Like there's several different directions still that it could go um, over the next year.
1: Well, you know, the um, uh, stylized question is will it be a V? Will it be a U? Will it be an L? Or will it be a W? And um, I think we are really moving away from any pervasive expectations of a V. Uh, I think that prospects for a V. Disappeared in early June uh, as states and municipalities started to reopen uh, after the lockdown earlier this year. And as a result of that, um, After about the second week in June, uh, contagion really, really spiked. And um, I think that just about destroys uh, any hope of a V-shaped recovery. Um, I think that I prefer to um, think about the W-shaped recovery. Um, And we're seeing a little bit of that um, in terms of people being called back to work, you know, those who were told that they would be on layoff temporarily. Some of those people were called back to work. We saw that improvement uh, in the employment numbers. And um, now, as some new lockdown provisions are being adopted, um, those people have the prospect of being laid off again. So um, I think that that uh, pattern in employment testifies to the probability of um, a W-shaped pattern going forward, um, you have a little bit of improvement. You see what happens to contagion. You see what happens to consumer spending and the flow of goods. Uh, the virus then comes roaring back, and uh, you revert back to more weakness. And I think that that will persist until a vaccine is not only developed, but until it is um, uh, received by a significant number um, to diminish uh, the risk of contagion. And that can take um, a year or more uh, after the vaccine uh, is actually started in production.
0: Well, and, and one of the things that you pointed out in your article that I found kind of interesting was almost this contrast, whether it's a U, an L, or a W-shaped recovery, the question perhaps in a lot of people's minds, are we facing another Roaring Twenties, or are we facing something else? Um, what do you think we're looking at?
1: Well, um, I originally thought it's a toss-up, because... Um, Older people are... Uh, perhaps going to come out of this much more cautious, uh, especially people who are nearing retirement and uh, really shepherding their financial resources, um, versus younger people who may feel that they've been cooped up. Well, in recent weeks, um, I am inclined to um, be leaning toward the roaring 20s. I I think that the opening up that we saw in some states and some localities and the intense rush um, among young people to get out and socialize. Uh, There was an article in the paper today about a party in New Jersey that had 700 people. Um, so it is uh, reminding me of uh, the Roaring Twenties, the period after both World War I and the Spanish flu, um, when People just wanted to get over the doom and gloom and get out there and go to speakeasies and listen to jazz uh, and drink bathtub gin. Um, I'm not sure we're back to bathtub gin, but I think there is tremendous appetite um, for, for freedom and for socializing, and that implies That consumer spending will come back uh, after the virus is vanquished, and it will come back with some enthusiasm, with some force, that not everyone uh, will move into um, saving mode. And that's very good for the economy.
0: You talked a bit about tenant demand, and a lot of the conversations I've been having with people across AFIRE have been centering around that and how it may be altering, not just temporarily or in the medium term, but perhaps even in the long term. And you did a really nice job of kind of looking at different categories. Would love to hear your thoughts uh, around perhaps the, the most uh, put upon sectors, if you will, by this hospitality and, and retail. Uh, are What parts of that, I mean, it's obviously, it's in trouble, but what parts of it might we see bouncing back?
1: Well, I think that um, hospitality um, will bounce back, but it will take quite some time to establish um, a new supply demand equilibrium. I think that businesses have learned that maybe so much business travel Um, is not necessary. Maybe they can do with a little less business travel, a little less personal contact. But, you know, we have to remember that after 9-11, there were similar fears that business travel would remain depressed for a very, very long time. That didn't happen. Uh, business travel came back, uh, hotel occupancy, conferences, all of that came back um, despite that fear uh, of terrorism. So I think for hotels, um, the first to come back will be hotels that um, are uh, highly um amenitized in better locations uh, that offer uh, guests um, everything that they could want. I think the lower quality sector Will come back later because demand there is concentrated among people um, who have suffered more financial damage uh, from the shutdown and from the virus. So, you know, I think with hotels, it's uh, very much the old saying follow the bucks, and um, those uh, high quality hotels will come back sooner. Retail is much, much more of a challenge because retail um, was already trapped in the hurricane created by um, online shopping, by e-commerce. And um, even before e-commerce, it was becoming very clear uh, that there was just too much retail space in the U.S. Um, regional malls were built too close together. There were too many of them, and um, I think the shakeout uh, in retail probably started around the recession um, in nineteen in the early nineteen nineties. We've seen uh, anchor store consolidation relentlessly over the past 30 years. Um, That's ongoing. Uh, This recession and the virus and online shopping is accelerating that, um, but it's not creating um, the problems that are are really structural for retail and have been going on, as I said, a really, really long time. Um, I think that making investment choices regarding retail space um, is really tough. Um, I think that there will be opportunities to redevelop excess retail to create uh, mixed-use activities uh, in, in what were uh, regional malls. You know, you have to remember uh, that some of those regional malls have expansive, Parking lots and offer a uh, tremendous um, vacant land that can be used to add uh, residential, that can be used for um, health care. And I think that that will take off provided that current owners start to understand that their value as retail space has really eroded. And values have to decline to the point where investors see opportunity to acquire that space and reposition it. And I think we're getting close to that.
0: No, that's, that's an interesting way of looking at it, you're right. And, and certainly as we see the, the incredible oversupply of square footage in the US at 23 and a half square feet per person compared to, say, Europe, where you're seeing four or five square feet per person, I, I think you know, certainly there is a right sizing that's due there. A lot of people are talking about office. Um, what do you think is going to happen there? What is it going to become? Um, and where do you think the most attractive investment opportunities are?
1: Well, I have heard the word existential. There's an existential threat to U.S. office. Um, we talk a lot about that. Um, I would say in the office, but in our virtual office, and you know, again, I hearken back to uh, after 9/11. There were similar fears. Um, that demand for office space in dense CBDs uh, would decline because uh, people would be afraid to be in um, a central city that might be a target. Um, That didn't happen. Uh, I must say, at that point in time, I was a skeptic about uh, prospects for rebuilding office space in Lower Manhattan. I thought, who is going to lease space on the ground of those World Trade Towers? And I was wrong. Uh, Lower Manhattan has come back uh, stronger than ever. I think that a lot of um, the prospects for office space, uh, depends on two offsetting forces. The first force is going to be the need to give individuals more space. I think that contagion and the virus are teaching us that people shouldn't sit on top of each other. And, you know, we'd gotten to the point where, you know, we'd have people sitting along benches, maybe two feet apart, and space per employee had shrunk down enormously and um, created a much lower cost of occupancy. But that's not going to work anymore. And uh, whether it's uh, COVID-19 or the next virus that comes down the pike, people really need to have um, more space to protect themselves. So that's one force. And the other force is working from home. There are all kinds of surveys out there asking people uh, their preferences for working from home. And I think the consensus is that a small proportion of people would like to work home full-time and permanently, and I have heard figures of 12 15%. Um, of the remainder, uh, we have people who want flexibility. I'd like to work home one or two days a week. Those who want to be home a little more, three or four days a week. So... I think that the major uh, underlying desire is we want flexibility. You know, we want to be able to say, hey, the plumber's coming Monday, I'll work from home. That creates an enormous challenge for managing office space because you want to use that space efficiently. You don't want to have empty desks. So there's an opportunity for. Uh, technology to help that. Uh, There's an opportunity to make sure that when people come to the office, they have the space and the resources they need, but that 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 space and those resources are not left vacant for a good part of the week. So I think when you put those two things together, you've got uh, increased space demand and you've got some decreased space demand and you put them together. And I think that um, over the next couple of years, you may see uh, some erosion in leasing activity, but I think in the longer run, office will evolve to best serve the economy uh, that emerges out of this. I don't think that the threat to office demand um, is anywhere near existential.
0: That's tremendous news. Um, and, and and certainly counter to a certain extent in terms of a lot of people's fears as they're being expressed. Um, we've run out of time. Uh, so we really can't go into multifamily and industrial and you have some keen insights on that as well. Um, I would definitely encourage uh, anyone who's listening to this to spend some time again with uh, Martha's uh, article that comes out in August called "The called Right Sizing Commercial Real Estate Inside the August AFIRE Summit. So thank you so much, Martha, for spending a little bit of time with us on the AFIRE podcast.
1: Very good, Gunnar. My pleasure.
0: Before we close out completely, I want to make sure that we thank uh, AFIRE's underwriters who help support our programming throughout the year, whether virtual or in person. Um, and it's thanks to the generosity of groups like ProLogis, JLL, and Holland Partners that we're able to provide you with this podcast. Thank you all. This podcast is produced by AFIRE, the Association for International Real Estate Investors focused on commercial property in the United States. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice through this podcast. None of the content is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information included in this podcast may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable, though AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of its respective contributors and sources and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE. This is Gunnar Branson from the AFIRE podcast. Thank you for listening.